0: When I was a kid, and most people assume when I was a kid, I was a bad kid, I wasn't bad. I was a little rowdy. Uh, I was a little eccentric, and I was really curious, and I got into a little trouble. But I wasn't evil, according to my mother. I just didn't always listen, and I liked to argue. But the biggest issue that I posed to my parents was my curiosity, my desire for adventure, to find things and discover. Uh, a bunch of years ago, we were recalling my youthfulness uh, in a family gathering, and my mother told a story of when I was a kid, and I would often wander off in pursuit of things, but I knew my limitations, I knew where to go, I knew the call of my mother. Except one particular time in a Burdines or a J.C. Penny or whatever it was, back in the days when most department stores had only the circle racks. Remember those? Packed way too full of clothing. Now you walk into most department stores and it's pretty sparse. Well, in those days, as a curious kid, I would, of course, do what I'm sure many of you had done, crawl inside one of those circle racks. But this time, my mom didn't know where I went. And she lost it. She thought she had lost me. And allegedly, she went running around the store, dragging my sister along, trying to find me, and eventually found me in a panic. Have any of you had that happen with your child? More importantly, do you know that feeling that my mother probably had deep in her stomach, in her gut? That fear, that anxiety... I lost my son, and I can't go through raising another one. You know that horrible feeling. And I I don't know the biology behind it, the hormones or whatever happens that makes that feeling sit right here, that horrible, gut-wrenching feeling. But we all know it. It's caused by many things. But you know that feeling. In our gospel reading today, When it says that Jesus went ashore, saw a great crowd, and had compassion on them, that word had compassion on them is not translated even close. It's Jesus wrenched in his gut. It's a very specific construct of words that points directly to that feeling my mother had that day. That horrible, horrible feeling of loss. And he saw that great crowd and said, they don't have a shepherd. And he had compassion on them. He wrenched in his gut. It's that concept that I want to dive into this gospel reading. Now, I know many of you recall that I preached on this a few years ago to you all, right? Well, I did, and I'm going to recount a few things, but I'm framing it differently. We'll talk about why. So it starts out, the apostles returned to Jesus and told them all they had done and taught. Now, if you recall a little bit earlier in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus sent them out to go do work in his name. They performed miracles, they proclaimed, things like that. In the interim time is when we hear from last week the story of the beheading of John the Baptist and Jesus sort of knowing this. That his cousin and the, uh, the Elijah that was prophesied has been killed. And then Jesus, when they return, all of them are exhausted. And if you read the Gospel of Mark, by this point, it's very, very exhausting on how fast, especially, the Gospel of Mark moves. And so Jesus is attempting to get away. And eventually he does. The walking on water is coming in a couple of weeks where Jesus does finally get away to himself to pray and spend time with his father. Uh, but here in the midst, it's, it's a chaotic time. And Jesus is trying to get away. And they go out into the boat And they go across, but people see him, and they want to spend time with Jesus. Not only because Jesus, but remember, all the disciples had just been scattered into all the towns. And so all the miracles and the stories and and everything that was going on had had a whole buzz in that area. And so they would follow the disciples back, and now they're following them to where they land. And so the crowd was there, ready to go. Jesus sees them and has this guttural reaction of compassion. And then he teaches them. His reaction to that feeling, to that gut wrenching parental feeling, is to give them the pure word of God, to share with them the truths of the kingdom. It's only a couple words. But I know, especially this crowd, you spent your whole life in church, or at least most of it, and those people were hearing what you hear every week for the first time. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. Thank you for that information, disciples. That's so helpful. He knows where he is. He created it too, but we'll get to that. Disciples, you don't really understand that yet. So it's a desolate place. The word there is the word we use for desert. So they're in the middle of a desert. It's a not the greatest part of the world. And the hour is now late. Send them away and go to the country town. And they're, they're telling Jesus, right, to tell the crowd to go away. Disciples, you're telling Jesus what to do? getting a little comfortable. But remember, they're tired, they're exhausted, they don't fully understand what's going on, and so things get snappy. And the Gospel of Mark, if you read it in the Greek, gets rid of all the connecting words here in this exchange. If you notice how I read it uh, just a moment ago, the reason I did that is because in the Greek it switches to present tense, and it gets rid of all the connecting words that Greek normally has to make nice flow. It gets rid of the commas and the apostrophes that we use in English. There's words that do that in the Greek. Gets rid of it. So they're snapping back at each other. You, and and so Jesus answers them, you give them something to eat. Okay? Now, if Jesus tells you to do that, what do you do? You go give them something to eat. But they don't do that. They snap back. Oh, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? I have a feeling that Judas is the one who said that. The one in charge of the money. I'm sure they had the money. But Judas wanted that. So he steps back, and Jesus says to them, how many loaves do you have? Go see. Came back, five and two fish. Then the language changes. Mark's grammar changes. The nice, pretty Greek comes back. He commanded them Sit down in groups. Now, if you recall, that's not also what it says in the Greek. The word there is the word that we get symposium from. Now, the original definition of a symposium was basically a big celebration with wine and food, like a banquet. So he tells them to sit down in banqueting groups, 50 by 100 that's not sitting down and getting ready for a snack like you're on an airplane. So this shouldn't make sense to the disciples. What are you talking about? We're getting ready for a banquet all of a sudden? Remember, they're huddled with Jesus. But don't miss that interesting word right there. Sit down in groups on the, what's it say? Green grass. Another error in the English. When we say something is green, we're saying that it's fresh and new and lush. Where are they? They're in a desolate place. So picture this scene. So the disciples are huddled around Jesus. They're trying to figure this out. They have this argument. A few of them go off. They find the loaves and the fish. The boy, you know, we get a few other details from the other Gospels. And he comes back there into the group. They're huddled around and said, what are we going to do with this? Jesus says, have them sit down on the green grass. What are you talking about, green grass? Oh, my goodness. What has happened? When was the last time you laid on fresh, green, not Florida, cut yourself grass? Golf course grass. We'll go there. (laughs) I was in New York a couple weeks ago. And everyone was laid out in Central Park. The whole city it looked like. Because it was a cool summer day. He has them lie down in banqueting groups. And taking the five loaves to fish, he says a blessing. Broke the loaves, gave it to them. They all ate and were satisfied. Who here has ever been to a Chinese buffet? You don't necessarily leave there satisfied. You more leave there feeling guilty and full of uh, salt. But the word "they're satisfied, is that completely full to exhaustion, but more like I had my mother's cooking than I had really bad buffet food. No offense if anyone here owns a Chinese buffet. Everyone's satisfied. That perfect feeling at the end of a perfect meal, spending time with your new friends, many of them, relaxing in a banqueting situation. What is going on here? Now, there's lots of lessons and stories and sermons that you've heard on this text, but I'm going to take one step out of it. A lot of people compare this story to the table sacrament that we will have later on. And they say, is it a foretaste of the sacrament? You know, he broke bread and he passed it out and people were satisfied and they heard the word of God while they were there in the midst. And not exactly. Instead, this story of Jesus acting with these people, doing this great work and these miracles from the fresh grass to providing from just a little bread and fish. All of that is pointing to that great feast that awaits us. When all things are perfect and good. All the prophecies that we've heard from Psalm 23 to Ezekiel 34 of the good shepherd coming and having us lie down and enjoy the pastures and the green grass. All of those prophecies a little foretaste of that here as well, pointing to that heavenly feast. In the same way, when we come up here later on in the service, we experience that foretaste of the feast to come, that perfect supper. Now, none of you will necessarily lie down, but at least have it in your mind as you kneel, as you partake in the foretaste of the feast to come. So this story, the feeding of the 5,000, a parallel to what you'll experience later on today, both of them pointing to that heavenly feast. But let's take one final step backwards. Why are we being pointed to this heavenly feast of green grass, of us being sheep without a shepherd, of Jesus just wrenching in his gut at the beginning of the story? Jesus who looks while hanging on the cross at the people and the emotions that go through him there. Switch back to the Old Testament reading from Jeremiah 23. This is one of the final condemnations of the word of God in Jeremiah. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock, you've driven them away, you have not attended to them. And then what does he say? I will gather my flock. I will bring them back. They'll be fruitful, they'll multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. They won't fear. They won't be dismayed. None will be missing. It's coming. I will rise up for David, a righteous branch, capital B, another name for Christ, Jesus. He shall reign as king, deal wisely. He shall execute justice and righteousness. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely, both kingdoms of Israel. And he shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And just to give you a little context, the king in that time, His name meant the righteous of Yahweh. And so Jeremiah is proclaiming the voice of the Lord saying, Your situation right now, Israel, you chosen people, is a mess. And the Lord sees it. And he sees the false king that's ruling over you. And he cares. God actually cares that his people, his sheep, are scattered and are lost and are wandering and don't have green grass that are not full and comfortable. He cares and he will change things. He will send, as we know, his Son Jesus Christ to give of himself for us lowly sheep. He will gather us from all the ends of the earth into his family his church, his body. He will lie out the perfect grass and engage in a banquet for us. And we who are in this last age of the earth get a little extra foretaste every time we commune and also every time we hear this gospel reading of how Christ makes all things good, new, and right. All because he looked at us and he wrenched in his gut. There's two sides of the coin to walk away with today. The first one is why we're going to end the service again with reading Psalm 23. That we have a good shepherd who cares for us sheep no matter where and when we are. And also that we, his chosen, his church, we're part of his response to that gunt-wrenching feeling that started in the Garden of Eden when we first sinned. We're part of him reclaiming his sheep, gathering them back from the corners of the earth. I get to work with churches and ministries all over the country, my work at LCEF. I get to see the effort that small to large congregations and ministries Christians put in to save, to care for, to bless people in Christ's name. And there are days when I say, why so much effort? Why is God weaving such an intricate web of people and ministries? This is why. This is why he gathered you tonight and will send you out in a few moments back into his world. Because he wrenched in his guts, And he sent his son to fix it all. And we get to be part of that master plan. And then one day, you and I and all the rest will lie comfortably in the green grass of heaven and feast and celebrate, maybe even a little dancing, as happy sheep finally at home with our shepherd. Until that day, stay faithful. It's his working sheep gathering the rest. In Christ's name, amen.